What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Baseball Connection. So we're going to jump right into it today. I would say the biggest piece of news around the baseball world is Alex Cobb coming one out shy of throwing a no-hitter versus the Reds. Imagine that, losing a no-hitter with two outs in the ninth inning. That's what happened to Alex Cobb on Tuesday night in San Francisco. He was dealing. A 35-year-old veteran came with his A-game on Tuesday, and he came within one out of throwing the 18th no-hitter in Giants history. It was a 6-1 Giants win over the Reds at Oracle Park. He carried this no-hit bid into the ninth with his pitch count at 113, four more than his previous season high. So he retired Noel V. Marte on a flyout before he walked Nick Senzel, which gave the Reds only their second base runner of the game. And he got another flyout from TJ Friedel, and then, just as he was staring the no-hitter down, staring the no-hitter in the face, facing Spencer Steer. Spencer Steer delivers an RBI double into the right center field gap to finally put the Reds on the board. And the Giants didn't have anyone else warming the bullpen. This was his game. Gabe Kapler stuck with Alex Cobb, who then proceeded to strike out Ellie De La Cruz for the final out. And this finished, this, this allowed him to finish with a career-high 131 pitches. So 131 pitches, that's a career high for someone who's been in the league for a long time. He allowed only one hit, walking one, striking out eight. This was his sixth career complete game and second of the season. But uh, it's tough, you know. It's, it's a rare occasion. It's a rare feat for a reason. I mean, not as rare as a perfect game, but still a no-hitter is tough. It would have been cool to see, but at the end of the day, he still gets a win. He gets a win, but unfortunately, he didn't even get the shutout. Of course, he gave up a run there. But he gets a, a one-hit masterpiece, a one-hit complete game. And with this win, the Giants move past the D-backs into the third NL wildcard spot by half a game. And they push the Reds two games back. So, yeah, I mean, in this game, Cobb just leaned heavily on his splitter. That's his signature pitch. He threw that 63% of the time. And when that thing is working, you see what happens. And this is a Reds team that can hit a little bit. You've seen them hit the ball quite a bit, but Alex Cobb had that splitter working. In other news, moving down the Pacific Coast to L.A., where the Dodgers were back home, Clayton Kershaw was on the mound. Mookie Betts was homering. I mean, just a vintage Los Angeles Dodgers win. If you're a Dodgers fan, you like to see this against a divisional opponent against the Arizona Diamondbacks. And Kershaw collected his 209th career win, tying Don Drysdale. So he's behind only Don Sutton for most wins in club history. And Mookie hit his 36th home run of the year, which is a career high for him. 36 bombs for Mookie Betts. Continuing his MVP campaign. I mean, that National League MVP race is no longer a clear-cut decision. Early in the year, everyone was saying Ronald Acuna Jr. would run away with it. And he probably would have if he continued or if things continued the way they started this season, but Freddie Freeman has entered that conversation. Now Mookie Betts has entered that conversation. I would say Mookie's probably the front runner right now. So Mookie had his 36th bomb of the year. I mean, this power, getting power from the top of the lineup is always, I don't want to say it's a luxury because they do rely on Mookie to drive in a lot of runs. That's kind of, you know, any team that has Mookie Betts, you're going to build your offense around the idea that Mookie's going to drive in a lot of runs, but he's hitting leadoff. With 36 bombs, hitting 314, a 10-20 OPS. I mean, he played second base in this game. I think that's the big 
value that he's providing this year, when we talk about most valuable player, it's the positional versatility that Mookie has shown this year, playing right field, playing second base, playing a little bit of shortstop when they needed him. That positional versatility. And it's kind of funny because I'm saying that now. I'm sure a lot of people who are hearing me say this will agree with me. But some of these people who are agreeing with me may be the same people who said Aaron Judge should have won the MVP over Otani last year, which Aaron Judge did. But my argument last year in favor of Otani was that he was more versatile. I mean, he's pitching and he's hitting. That's my same argument for Mookie this year. He's more versatile. He's more valuable because he's harder to replace. That has always been my stance when it comes to these MVP discussions. So if you're agreeing with me on Mookie right now, I hope you're in the camp that believes Shohei Otani should have won AL MVP in 2022. Otherwise, I mean, you got to explain yourself. You gotta explain yourself how you could how you could hold those two schools of thought. Because, uh, yeah, that's that's for you to figure out, not for me. Let's head to the opposite coast on the East Coast in Boston, where the Red Sox hosted the Astros for yet another game. The Astros won. And the Astros are at full strength for the first time all season. So, first of all, Bregman and Alvarez hit back-to-back home runs. But Michael Brantley returned to the lineup for the first time all year. So... They don't have any key members of their offense on the injured list for the first time all year. Altuve missed 60 games with two injuries. Jordan Alvarez missed 39 games with an oblique strain. Michael Brantley missed the first 133 games of the season following shoulder surgery. But now, all these guys were in the lineup when we saw what happened in Boston. Their offense was already putting up some hefty numbers before they activated Brantley. But his presence in the lineup... It was huge. I mean, he, yes, he went 0 for 4, but he had four hard hit outs in this game. It was a 6-2 win for the Astros. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I think that AOS is still going to run through Houston. It's been close. They haven't disappeared. They've been one game out, two games out, whatever. I think, I think they're going to they're gonna be the team to beat. Now the Astros have won four in a row. They're in a three-way tie in the AOS after the Rangers beat the Mets and the Mariners fell to the A's on Wednesday. So with head-to-head record being what determines tiebreakers in the standings. Houston has a slight edge over Texas, six games to four, but they have three games remaining in a week. And the Mariners actually won the season series against the Astros, eight games to two. So, yeah, I mean, that tiebreaker does give it, you know, Houston a slight edge over Texas, but Seattle has a slight edge over Houston. But Houston is 17-11 in the last 28 games, and thanks mostly to their offense. These guys have been swinging hot bats and it's the usual suspects alex bregman jordan alvarez kyle tucker these guys bregman has been hot the second half i think that's something no one's really talked about i mean we saw altuve hit for the cycle on monday but i mean alex bregman has had a much better second half and he's looked like a different hitter he's looking like himself again after a really rough first half now his numbers are starting to come back up there but you know he's clicking i think this team is clicking at the right time so Houston Astros, keep an eye on this team. Do not sleep on them. Let's head to Baltimore, where the Orioles, top of the AL East, you know, they were hosting the Chicago White Sox. So the Orioles won 83 games last year. Pretty good year for them. But they just won their 83rd win of the season with over a month left. So they've matched their 2022 win total. They're now 34 games above 500 for the first time since 1997. And 
yeah, this uh, this is huge. This clinches a w- winning season, of course. Obviously, they, they clinched that a winning season. But I mean, they had a winning season last year just by one game, I guess, or two games above five hundred. Nonetheless, the Orioles maintained a two and a half game lead in the American League East over the second place Rays, who beat the Marlins on Tuesday. They have a whole month left. Things can still change. But the Orioles have been playing really good baseball in the second half. They look to continue to do so. But this is a, uh, a strong effort, a strong effort uh, across the board. And a huge part about this, about the Orioles' second half, is Grayson Rodriguez, you know, one of the young righties, came up earlier in the year from the minor leagues and got hit really hard and was sent back down to the minors, came back up to the majors. He's been really good. So Grayson Rodriguez, Kyle Bradish, you know, Dean Kramer, these three guys have been awesome lately. Three of them have posted a 1.96 ERA in their past nine combined outings. So shout out to those three. Anthony Santander, he missed three games due to low back soreness earlier this month. Now he's hitting 414 with four homers and 12 RBIs over his last seven games. He leads the Orioles with 18 go-ahead RBIs. This is a team that's built for the playoffs because timely hitting and good pitching is what wins in October. Of course, they lost Felix Bautista, which would have made them even better because you need a good bullpen with the way playoff games are played nowadays. But I still have faith in this Orioles team. This is a good team. Do not sleep on them. So that's what we have for today, folks. Those are the key updates. I would say the key matchups I wanted to cover. You know, shout out to Alex Cobb for nearly throwing a no-hitter. But, you know, it happens. Lose a no-hitter, two outs of the ninth. It happens. But that's going to do it for today, folks. If you enjoyed this, please share with someone who'd be interested. And we'll see you next time on Baseball Connection.